are you? Where are you? Well, Baden, I am really well. I'm a little bit sad because it's our last night in Cuba and we are on the Malecon in Havana, La Havana. Um, the Malecon is a seven kilometre long road right along the seafront in Havana and it's where everybody comes to hang out and right now to fish. There are a whole load, whole load of fishermen getting pretty excited about something that they've caught. Um, there's loads of traffic, um, lots of people come out here in the evening because it's cool and they, they catch the breeze and they talk and they kiss and they drink and they whatever, walk along. Um, so that's where we've decided to come out and record the podcast this evening. Welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. This is our audio travelogue of our adventures by bike as we ride all the way from London to the Hutt Valley of New Zealand over the course of about a year. Um, so we have now finished our Lisbon leg. Uh, London to Lisbon leg I should say and we're gonna soon be heading from Mexico southwards yeah and in breaking news my plans to cycle in the west of Cuba went a little bit off track okay so what what was the original plan well the original plan is I was going to uh, cycle out to Pinar del Rio and out in the west visit uh, basically be out there for around 10 days while you were off uh, in uh, Santa Clara, San Fuegos and Trinidad and uh, meet you back here in Havana after having cycled for around 10 days or so. Okay um, and so you started out in Havana we waved you off um, and you set off into the traffic and we were a bit worried about you because it was blazing hot but it went okay right? Yeah I left at sort of three o'clock in the afternoon and the, the bit out of Havana was exhilarating, you know, I was quite nervous because the, ma the main thing of, that I was nervous about is that I was really poorly prepared. I just didn't feel like I had uh, everything I needed for the trip and uh, was, or wasn't sure I was carrying enough, wasn't sure I had the right things basically. So I was a bit nervous, but as soon as I hit the road, I was that kind of disappeared. It was blazing hot. I mean, we're talking you know mid 30s with very high humidity and uh, it was really physically tough as well but no, there were you know sort of lots of enjoyable bits leaving Havana was really great riding along a motorway you don't really do that uh, when we're cycling you know beyond main highways but here in uh, Cuba you know on those main highways you've got moped drivers Horse and, ca horse and cart, you know, it's it's anyone. So it, no one really raised an eyebrow that a cyclist was on there. Yeah, yeah. And um, you reached Las Terrazas on your first night. Yeah, that um, was really cool. I mean, on the way on the way to Las Terrazas, it was so remote. I passed so many small places and little villages and things. And at one point, it was really nice. I had these young boys sort of riding alongside me um, for well, about almost 10K. And, uh, you know, when they first came up behind me, I was sort of thinking, oh, here we go, you know, they'll be you know, wanting to, for money or something like that. But you just got to get rid of those sort of attitudes because it's not, not like that at all. All their questions were just on my country and, you know, what sort of cycling I like to do. And we sort of, it was just such a nice exchange. And then when it got to the point where they turned off, they just went on their own way. So, the, but the longer the road longer it went to get to Las Terrazas which was 84k it was, it was a long way in that sort of heat I was really starting to get drained you know like there wasn't much food um, you know I, I was almost through my allocation of about 6 litres of water that I had and uh, I was getting really really hungry as well 
So you got there and it was uh, kind of after dark, I think I remember you saying, and there wasn't really any food around. I think someone scraped together a plate for you and then you headed off to your cabin to sleep. And then the next day when you woke up and you could actually see where you were, what did it look like? Oh, it's amazingly beautiful. Had no had no realisation of that because when I finally got down there, it was at around 8.30 or something, I think. And um, I sort of led to my cabin in the dark and I was led through this like wooded path through trees and stuff all in the dark. So I had no idea what it looked like. But when I woke up in the morning, you're down right by the river in a sort of a thatched triangle shaped uh, beach cabana essentially. <laughs> and by these, by these beautiful little waterfalls that trickle into like, um, like bathing ponds. Um, and so when I was there, I did a little bit of recording. Five days a week where I'm standing here at Banos del San Juan. This is an idyllic sort of pool area, natural pool areas. Whole bunch of little waterfalls trickle and cascade down to whole series of pools. Um, and nice little swimming holes where you can sort of get in under your head or dive in off the rocks. But since it's the weekend, it's really overrun by day trippers who've come out from Havana, crammed on the buses. They're buying their local beers, their cristals, their bucaneros, and they're really having a big day out here, getting away from the sort of July heat and just relaxing in the pools. And it's been a really interesting experience. I mean, I think I'd much rather it uh, was crowded and busy and alive like it is now than sort of quiet and idyllic sort of how I imagine it would be tomorrow. Everyone's having a great day, the adults are you know, drinking beers and they had a uh, spit roast peak earlier uh, up at the barbecue and the locals were sort of feasting into that. It's really a, um, uh, well you can sort of see you know, how uh, Cubans like to spend their time on the weekend and sort of relieve their pressures at the end of the week in the same way that we do. But soon, come five o'clock, I think the security guards around here are going to blow their whistles and that's going to signal that everyone has to get out of the water and there are a bunch of old sort of shoddy, smoky-looking buses up at the top of the path waiting for uh, to take uh, everyone back to Havana. But for me, I've got another night here, so I might be able to get a little bit of uh, a quiet time in the pool after everyone's gone. Well, it sounds quite idyllic, um, but everything was not sort of going according to plan at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I, what was coming out of my mouth um, you know, sounded quite pleasant. But what was happening a bit further south uh, perhaps wasn't so pleasant. Is that a nice way to put it? Um, okay, so that plate of food that they gave you the night before maybe wasn't such a great idea. Yeah, it was sort of scraped together from what was left in the kitchen after the end of the day. And I think that sort of played havoc with my uh, bowels and stuff okay. <laughs> the next day. It wasn't, wasn't great, and, but it made me sort of less confident about the riding, you know. And, and it was such a remote place. They weren't the, I mean, when all the Cubans went home, there's hardly anyone there. Me and a couple of Dutch tourists, basically. <laughs> and um, So that was the other thing you said, you were getting quite lonely. Yeah, because I'm used to cycling with you. You're my buddy. You're my wing, wing lady, you know. And um, I really wasn't, really wasn't used to it. And I, I set out with the intentions of, like, going along on my route. But, man, it, it just took me ages to get breakfast that morning when I finally felt wanted food. You know, it turned out the kitchen didn't have any 
um, eggs to prepare omelettes or whatever and then they made these sort of weird pancakes for us uh, it's just a breakfast and you no know, when you when you head off cycling when you haven't had a good tucker you do feel it doesn't make you feel very confident and then I was so remote there was nowhere to buy food I was starving so so what was the point where you decided to turn back because that's what happened well, there was a turn off to uh, head towards into the hills really and I'd already been struggling in the hills as it was with the heat and the road conditions and what were the roads like well they were okay but some sections there was just the road was there really wasn't a road it was so ripped and torn up it was impossible to cycle yeah, at one point I had to push my bike up in like a 15% gradient of gravel, you know, and that was sort of wearing me down. I'd, I think I'd done two hours, maybe two and a half hours almost of cycling and um, had only be, only come sort of 17 kilometres. And I had to do 60 to 70 that day. And I was like, oh man, th- this could be good, but it's just not great right now. And I was just thinking I'd rather, no, I wasn't feeling that great. I hardly had eaten. My stomach was empty. And I, you know, used to start feeling a bit lonely. So I wanted to come and hang out with you. So you uh, pulled into a town or you found someone to give you a ride or something? Yeah, I, I uh, went down into the town and found someone who could take me back to Havana for an okay price. And so, um, yeah, basically shoved the bike back in the taxi and we just sped along the road. Uh, back to Havana and then you had no idea I was coming and so I was trying to organize buses and all sorts and it was a bit how did you feel when you were in the back of the taxi driving along did you feel relief or did you feel sad you know what I didn't actually feel relief until I hooked up with you you know like and then I knew it was sort of the I'd, I'd done made the right thing you know you don't you don't need to push yourself when you're not well prepared and yeah I you know, like in times when we've been on the train, we've, we've taken the train somewhere and you feel like you're cheating a little bit. I did feel a bit like that, especially when you're zooming along, like covering the distance that I covered in a whole afternoon of really hard, grueling cycling. When you cover that in about an hour and a half in a car, <laughs> yeah. you, it does feel like it's cheating a bit, but um, oh, you know, you just, just got to be flexible and open yourself up to changing plans. And that's what I did. I think it just means we, you know, and it also learned a lot of good lessons. So it was good in the end. Yeah, well, we're, as Baden said, I was traveling with mum and dad, and we were very happy to have you back, Baden. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are in Havana, and it's actually quite a historic time for two, two reasons, actually. When I was walking last night, I remember I uh, saw some banners for the 26th of July, which is a very significant date here in Cuba. It was like the, what is the Moncada, the anniversary of the um, the attack on the Moncada barracks in Santiago de Cuba. So that was like a, a big time for the revolution. It really set the uh, revolution in flow. Um, but also, this is the time when the Cuba has opened its embassy in Washington, D.C. Now, the news is a bit patchy here, we were in Trinidad a couple of nights ago when it happened on the 20th of uh, July and because we, we, we've not seen any TV or anything but we managed to see John Kerry on the TV and I was like some people in Havana had been telling us that John Kerry was going to be here but the background of where the speech was taking place did not look 
like it was Havana, did it? No. So, and a lot of people didn't act, some people that we'd spoken to uh, in Trinidad didn't believe that John Kerry was actually in the country. So there's a bit of confusion, isn't there? Yeah. But it's a very significant time with the opening of the embassy. I actually, um, we ran into someone in a restaurant, a dentist was <laughs> dining in a restaurant that we were in, and he told me that in uh, Washington, they used the Cuban flag that was taken down 54 years ago. Uh, it's exactly the same flag. A Cuban family in America had had it and kept it, and then that, that's exactly the same one that they put up again. Yeah. And Fidel Castro, he's just the king of symbolism, you know? Yeah. So yeah, well, he never loses an opportunity. Yeah, well, I went, went on my walk last night. I walked past the U.S. Special Interest section, which is essentially the embassy. Uh, no, well, it's going to be an officially an embassy soon, but there was no U.S. flag flying there or anything, so... Uh, and when we read the newspaper today, we picked up a copy of the newspaper, and the coverage is, uh, well, it's a propaganda organ, the grandma, the, the magazine here. And what was it basically saying? That it was almost declaring the opening of the embassy a victory for Cuba. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, you know, you were here 10 years ago, and we were both here five years ago in 2009 and um, you know yes it's a historic moment uh, but it, it's certainly not sort of heralded a massive change there has been a gradual change in that time um, but by now it's really noticeable um, and the, the most important thing is of course ordinary Cubans being able to own their own businesses um, and you know predominantly obviously we see that in restaurants and taxis and other kind of tourism businesses associated with you know accommodation and touring and things like that but um, you know there are also things like you know lots of little beauty salons and and hairdressers and and really all sorts of things are springing up and um and it's kind of raising the well i mean it looks to us as though more cubans have a little bit more money now yeah what i've noticed especially um you know both out in uh, the west and uh, in the rest of the country is that normal cubans are using the convertible currency there are two currencies in here. There's the moneda nacional, which is the money that people use for their day-to-day -day transactions. But there's the convertible peso, what they call, mostly people are calling now the cook. They never really called it that last time we were here. But the cook stands for convertible peso. And um, that's worth something like 25 to 1 uh, 25 of the other currency to one cook mm. so it's much more um, valuable, uh, valuable. Yeah. and we're finding we're seeing a lot of Cubans with carrying that sort of money and using that for their purchases and really flashing a lot of it about so I think some people are starting to get some money here now yeah. um, which is which is great and you, you you are sort of noticing the difference and yeah. there's lots of different things around the town yeah I mean we, we took um, a bus out to Santa Clara and then one back from Trinidad and the the one back is a six-hour bus um, uh, both of them were late by about three hours so that really hasn't changed in the last <laughs> five to ten years but what had changed was the number of Cubans that were sharing the what used to be purely tourist bus with us yeah the Viazul used to be just really for tourists last time you had half the bus to yourself because it was mostly the normal Cubans couldn't afford the tickets but now people are paying a little bit more for a bit of air-conditioned luxury uh, for their uh, long-distance travel yeah. Um, my, my father is a big uh, fan of old American cars and it's one of the reasons um, I managed to tempt him to come travel to Cuba with my mum. So he's been loving it in Havana because some of them are actually in really, really good condition. Um, and we're just seeing, you know, you know, hundreds of them flooding by on the Malecon. It's such a great place for spotting cars. But we're also seeing a lot more modern cars as well. Yeah, I mean, 
a lot of Chinese cars actually. The um, Geely or Geely or whatever they call them. Seen lots of those and but still it's predominantly those old American cars, isn't it? You know, there is there is evidence of now, as we're saying, a lot more money coming into Cuba, but it's not um, the houses are still pretty ramshackle. It's very hard for people to make improvements on their house and get and get supplies. Um, go to the supermarket. You go to the supermarket. There's all these gaps on the shelves. Um, we can't even buy beer a, a lot of the days, you know. And you ask the shop, "Oh, are you going to be getting more beer in?" I don't know. Yeah. So it's it's so complicated here. But, um, you know, the whole way along on this trip and really in our life in general, we're obsessed by food. Um, and Cuba is not somewhere that you generally come to expecting gastronomy. Um, we certainly, when we were here five years ago, we were surviving basically on ham and cheese sandwiches. Apart from the delicious meals that they make you in the Casa Particularis, which is where you can go and stay in people's homes. Um, but actually this time, things have, wow, they've really moved on. Um, we were in Cienfuegos and 10 years ago, I remember you saying that there was about two paladars, which are private sort of family restaurants. Um, and now there must be 70 or something. Yeah, like, well, Cienfuegos has really changed since I was there, you know, in 2005. Um, you know, also number of Casa Particulares, places to stay. I thought there might have been about five there when I was there last time. And, you know, now there are about five per street, you know, five per block. Um, it's incredible uh, how tourism is really... Know, bringing that foreign foreign exchange earnings into Cuba and really and changing people's lives, and and the other thing with the tourism is they're all preparing for the Americans. Yeah. No, the everyone there's a big expectation that the Americans are going to come here and you know they're going to help people buy invest in people's businesses and things like that and and come in and buy it all up and. People seem to actually welcome that, don't they? Well, I, I would say actually that there is there are mixed expectations. Some people, we stayed with um, Bernardo in Trinidad and he has his own home with uh, four rooms that tourists stay in. Uh, you know, he's really not expecting big, you know, big changes. He finds it so difficult to, to get on with his business and make improvements to his house because he can't get the supplies, he can't get skilled labor. Um, he doesn't think that the, you know, the development with America is going to really change that. But then our casa owner here in Havana is really excited about hopefully seeing a lot more Americans coming to, to Havana to visit her. Yeah, the, when the, apparently there's all these cruise ships that are meant to be sailing into Cuba from December, I think. Yeah. Some people have been saying September so I'm not exactly sure but apparently they're all booked out um, and people have also been saying how difficult it is to get a flight into Cuba uh, all the ports in Mexico where you can fly in the flights are really expensive and booked out yeah because we, we ran into a New Zealander in um, Trinidad who owns his own home there now um, and he comes for his holidays every year to the Caribbean which I don't envy him the flights there's about four flights to get over here but um, you know he, he was sort of saying that he'd paid there's some racket where you pay a jacked up price in Mexico for a ticket to Cuba yeah. and of course we bought our tickets online straight through the airline and got them for I think maybe a tenth of the price that he yeah, paid yeah. so and well the other thing with him buying a house here in Cuba he had to um, find someone a local that he trusted to buy the house for him and put it in his the guy's um, the Cuban guy's name so 
the investment climate, when you look at it like that, is uh, you need to be very trusting and prepare, be prepared to take some big losses. Yeah, but yeah. In, in the he's only owned it for a year and already he says it's doubled in value. So, um, yeah. yeah, this place is going to take off, but just how it will, no one quite knows yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but right now we're sitting on the Malecon and the sun is just about to slip down below the horizon. Um, there are more and more people gathering out here. Another fish here. Yeah. They're reeling in fish. We're actually, we can see albatrosses as well. The albatrosses are fishing too. Um, and sitting here, it doesn't feel like a whole lot has changed in the last 10 years, but having traveled around for the last three weeks, we, we, we know that it has. Here we are sitting in Plaza Mayor in Trinidad. I've got my mum and dad, Alan and Sheila, with me, and we've been reflecting today on um, some of the, well, there are a lot of art galleries here in this city. Um, some of the art has come all the way from Havana. I guess this must be a city that's known for its art, or people come here to buy art because artists from Havana are sending their stuff here. But um, yeah, we toured around them. What did you What did you think, Ma? Buenas noches, Shelley. Oh, thank you. I was very impressed with the art here in Trinidad. Uh, great variety, uh, lots of colourful paintings, mainly in oils, uh, some mixed media, which was really good, lovely collage. Yeah, I bought a couple, we bought a couple of little paintings that we were quite impressed with. Uh, so, all in all, we're pretty impressed with the art in Trinidad. <laughs> what were the paintings that you bought? What did they look like? What were they of? They were of the church mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, plaza here in Trinidad. Yeah, they're sort of muted colours, which I think will go beautifully in our home. A bit of black ink in there as well. Uh, yeah, I think they're... they're sort of serene and tranquil looking oh, good. and so we saw quite a lot of kind of um, touristy classic Cuban art but there were it was nice to I think as well see some original stuff as well Did, what, what sort of struck you dad oh <coughs> no no it was it was quite impressive actually I, um, I really was impressed with the variety and um, and as you say originality um, aside from all obviously the touristy and um, you know just sort of the things you'd expect to see, um, which is the standard street scenes with old cars, Havana styles. Um, but yeah, some of the some of the art was was remarkable um, in its originality and and just its um, its um, uh, attention to detail and um, it was just just amazing. I really was blown away by it. To be quite honest with you, I didn't expect it to be so so diverse and, and really well done. Buenas noches, chicos. Buenas ¿Qué, noches. ¿Qué tal? Bien. Bien. ¿Y, y qué pasa no, esta noche? Jugamos aquí a la escondida. Ajá. Voy a traer a mis amigos. Oh. Espérate. Okay. Muy bien, muy bien. Creo que we have his friends approaching at this point. Um, in Havana, we also got to go to the um, one of the fine arts museums, and they have a few of them there, and one of them is, a, is dedicated to Cuban art. Um, and I, for me personally, last time I came here, that, that like, we didn't do that, and I feel like I really got a nice insight into Cuban culture. Um, here's another one. Hi guys, how's it going? 
Buenas noches, ¿qué tal? Mónica, hola, los cubanos. Los cubanos. Somos los cubanos. Corazón por ustedes. Yes, gracias. Mucha salud. Oh, gracias. Well, as you can tell, the, li the nightlife in Trinidad is. <laughs> it's very generous and lively, so I think maybe it's time to wrap it up. What do you guys reckon? Yes, we're gonna get a drink. Cute little kids, eh? Well, our our like art discussion in the main plaza in Trinidad sort of got interrupted by um, a crowd of really lovely 12 and 13 year old children who were out playing around in the square and uh, were attracted by this funny podcast recorder machine and wanted to know what we were doing. So so that was what all that noise was. And then I, I too got distracted because they were really cute and they were cracking me up. So <laughs> we ended up talking to them for quite some time. So we this is our last night in Cuba and uh, tomorrow we will be heading to the airport to fly to Cancun um, and we will be traveling with my mum and dad for another week. Um, I can actually see my mum on the balcony of our casa and she is looking like she's hungry so we need to get up there and take her out for dinner but we're going to go around the Yucatan Peninsula with them for a week and then we will be back on our bikes um, which is going to be strange because it's been the last time I rode my bike was the 19th of June, June. yeah it's a long time ago isn't it yeah. so yeah and a bit of a change of pace as well you know like all this Cuban culture you get a lot of revolutionary history here uh, you know, and all, it's also all about the architecture here, the colonial styles, the French and the Spanish and the Baroque. But uh, now in the Yucatan, we're going to be learning more about Mayan civilizations and some of these, I think, isn't the Mayan one of the most ancient civilizations? And uh, it was really um, the capital of it, the capital of it was really in uh, the Yucatan Peninsula. So we're going to hang around there for a week and do a bit of that and then it's all get on the bikes. Crazy times. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Whoa. Excuse that horrible motorbike that just rode past us. Thank you very much for listening. As always, we'd love to know how you are and where you are. You can email us, you at gmail.com. Or you can head to our blog, howareyouwhereareyou.com. And please do leave comments under the podcast. We really enjoy reading them. Um, if you want to catch up with Baden online, he's at Baden C on Twitter or Baden Cycling on Instagram. Thanks, as always, to Callum Campbell for the original music in the podcast. Remember, if you want to, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. There are a couple of links on the blog. Um, do rate it. Do share it. We'd love to uh, see what more people think of it. Um, and other than that, we will catch you again from Mexico. From a noisy Malicon. Bye. Bye.